Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by Jaguar Land Rover Laval. Get out of the big city and experience a construction zone free test drive. There is such a thing. Good day, boys. How are you? I'm uh, fine. Thank you. I um, have been uh, struggling with uh, how do we open a podcast because for 35 plus years when I sat in front of a microphone, the first thing I would say is, good morning. It's Tuesday morning. And, uh, da, 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 or da, da, the da. spirit of rock. Show them 97.7. Yes. There's Elton yeah, John yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, th- this is so loosey-goosey. That's it what is. I like about it. You yeah, just, it is. Yeah. You Remember? get your cue from the producer and you go, how the fuck are you? Good to see you. <laughs> How's she going? Um, it is uh, episode number eight. It's hard to believe that we've uh, yep. done eight, eight episodes already yep. until you count them, and then it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. There were seven before this, and now yep. there's this one, and that <laughs> makes eight. <laughs> it's math. Thank you. Yeah, one Thank of the all time one of the all time overused <laughs> expressions. I can't believe it's already Thursday. Well, yeah. if you look at the calendar, <laughs> yesterday was Wednesday, and tomorrow's Friday. So it uh, it kind of adds up when you when you sit down and really think about it. It's not that hard to believe at all <laughs> remember our uh, our very short-lived round of match game yes <laughs> when i did blank day and was it you or patty that said patty patty she said wednes <laughs> <laughs> i think that was 35 years ago and well, it was about 30 years I, ago i, still, I yeah. still do it boy I, did we laugh yeah i still say well not bad for a two as yeah exactly right? yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Which reminds me of what you showed me yesterday. Can't wait for a satyr. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Yesterday, I was showing Terry, yeah. and 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 this is uh, this went viral on uh, yeah. on social media. I guess whenever it happened, quite a while ago. Steve, <laughs> what's his last name? Who yeah. hosts uh, Family Feud? That guy. Yeah. What's the thing. Oh, I should know his Steve last Harvey. name. Steve Thank Harvey. Steve Harvey. Yeah. Hey, Poseidon. Thank so you. So the uh, so the the thing uh, is uh, name name something that comes after pork. Right. And uh, the woman who's up at the at the buzzer says loin, and it takes him a few minutes to figure that out because yeah. she goes loin, <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, huh? <laughs> he's so good. Yeah, he's very his, talented, yeah, very he's funny. So his yeah. delivery yeah. and his and his body language is so good. So that that family decides to play, and so he goes to the first guy in line. The, he's a kid, maybe twenty, twenty one years old. He's named something that comes after pork, and the kid goes cupine. <laughs> and Steve Harvey goes, eh? <laughs> and then he he does the slow turn to the camera, and he goes, name something that comes after pork. He said, coupon. <laughs> and then he turns around and goes, what is coupon? <laughs> and the kid, to his credit, you know, he basically panicked. Oh, yeah, he couldn't he, think yeah. of anything, and and yeah. And well, he they, laughs along with yeah, it. He, ta- he takes he takes it in stride. Yeah, that's yeah. what reminded me of Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we used to play. Uh, we used to have fun uh, as we were saying on previous podcasts. Uh, when we were doing a radio program, we uh, we did not rehearse. No, and we did everything live, and uh, that is uh, quite apparent with the podcast. We it is, yeah. <laughs> well, that's rehearse. listen. That's what we do, yeah. and uh, if people. If people uh, liked it then, then uh, hopefully yeah. they're on board now still. One of the things that I liked uh, about our time on the radio, Ted, was um, we were uh, we were complete goofballs for the most part. 
Um, but we had our moments, and uh, I brought uh, with me a, a sense of that was drilled into me when I first got into the business by uh, my great and good friend Don Percy in Winnipeg. Um, that uh, the chair you sat in came with a responsibility to the community, and that you you had to you know do what you could uh, to give back and to help. And I always took that really really seriously. And and over the years, you and I. Uh, both separately and ensemble, have, uh, um, again, I sound like we're blowing smoke up our own arse, but we tried to help a lot of different charities um, with our chairs. Well, we never said no if yep. we were approached by a good cause, yeah. and and that's just part of the job. Yeah, uh, I think to so, me. too. We didn't do it, f- you know, we didn't do it uh, for recognition or no, anything. No, God What no. do they say about, uh, I'm, I'm part of a fellowship uh, where it's drilled into you, Go out and do somebody a good favor, and then don't tell anybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the we, spirit of charity is anonymous. And it, as the years went by, I think we got a reputation as uh, uh, people that never said no. So we got a lot of requests from yeah. people who wanted to drop by, and and um, and I think uh, that radio. Um, I don't know if it still does. I don't think it does it like it used to. But uh, radio used to be very, very good at giving back to the community, and I wanted to be part of that. And as a matter of fact, I think it's kind of a kind of an unwritten responsibility that you you not only reflect the community you're in, but you give back. And, oh, for sure. You know, well, I think everybody should do that, regardless of I, I agree of their their, yeah. their position and their profession. But yeah. I I think that because we have a platform that yeah. allows us to help people, yeah. you know, allows us to go the extra mile. Then I think the onus is I think there's that much more of an onus yeah. on us to help. I think we started with the we started with the missing children's network, yeah. and there was juvenile diabetes, and uh, there was you know Big Brothers Big Sisters. I'm doing Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Are you? Uh, well, it'll be by the time this, I was going to say, by the time this is on the air, yeah. <laughs> Terry and I were talking today about how much, how different this yeah, game is, yeah, you know, the podcast yeah. game versus radio. This isn't going to go on the air. By the time this is posted, yeah. I will already have been one of the judges at RibFest, Montreal RibFest. Mm. Uh, they call me every year. Do would they? You, yeah, and they don't even complete the sentence. Hi, it's RibFest. Would you like? Yes, I would. <laughs> I would like that very much. <laughs> what time do you need me to be there? Yeah. And that supports the big brothers and big sisters of the West Side. And it comes with a perk of many, many different varieties of ribs. It I'm sure thinking. does. Yeah, all of which I'm wearing by the time I leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ribs. Not a good first date no. meal, eh? <laughs> You go on a first date and order the rack, the full yeah. rack. Can I see it? No, yeah. you can't see me again. It's over. By, by the way, I found a great method for if you go on a date and you order ribs. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So what you got to do is you got to hold them down with a fork and you got to twist the bones and they come clean right off. And then you eat them like a steak, like a distinguished Well, listen gentleman. to that. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Ladies, man. So eh? you don't get the, uh, you don't get uh, the big uh, clown exactly. uh, coating on your... That's Poseidon. He's our producer, and uh, we would like to thank him, but we just learned, just before we started, we learned that uh, we learned how to say thank you in Greek, he told us, and then we realized we couldn't say it, and he said, well, if you can't say it right, then I know you're not thankful, so... So we'll have to thank him in English or Italian or French. What yeah. is it again in Greek, Poseidon? Yeah. 
Yeah, that sounds like a sneeze to me. Bless you. I never realized. Can I get you a handkerchief? I never realized that. That's a funny. It's true, right? That's a funny observation. So you're you're still doing the you're using the chair at Light 106 to do 100 percent, and probably probably even more so because it's such a small it's a small community it's a small town that serves a larger region and uh, yeah we get requests just about daily wow can you help us with this can you promote that yeah and uh yeah we're happy to uh, we're happy to jump on board because it's it it all just it helps the community and it helps make you part of the community yeah i think that's important i always did um one of the things that we uh we uh, talked about talking about to talk talk to talk talked about today Mm -hmm. Um, is uh, your involvement, and uh, I, I just kind of followed you around, I will, your involvement with um, your love of history, which led to your uh, involvement and support of uh, veterans of all stripes. I've no, been re- matter, no matter the conflict, everything from Bosnia to all the way back yeah. to WWL, uh, you've uh, had the. Uh, I think it's WWI. Right. Um, have uh, have been uh, not only a keen student of history, uh, but also a big supporter of uh, the armed forces and veterans. And I came by it honestly. Uh, my father was um, who was a, a young boy in World War Two. Lost his uncle, his favorite uncle, who was Ted Williston. So I was named after him. Oh wow! And my dad always had lots of books around the house, and I would I would read the books. My I can remember being like six years old. My dad took me to war movies when I was just a little kid. Wow. Yeah, if he wanted to go to a war movie, he'd bring me along with him. I remember going to the Dirty Dozen when I was like eight. Oh no, kidding! <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, how did you? You know, because in when I was a kid in Montreal, you couldn't get into those movies. I don't know. I guess, well, wow. just because yeah. I was with my dad, I guess they, they, they let me in. And uh, I had an occasion uh, in 2005, and uh, Poseidon has the picture. There's a picture there, Poseidon, of myself and my sons, Charlie and Sam, when they were four and six years old. And I love this picture. Um, just a moment, gentlemen. Yeah. We went to... One moment, please. We went to the cemetery outside of Ortona, Italy, where my great-uncle Ted is buried, and we went to his grave. Yeah. And... Uh, this picture makes me cry. I've seen yeah, this... Yeah, well, it's a... It's, I've, seen my, yeah. I've seen this picture before. It's a dandy. There it is. Look at, look at the boys. Look at the body language. They understand that they're somewhere special and that they're somewhere... Uh, almost sacred you know they, they just well, get it is it. sacred yeah it yeah. is yeah they just how get old it. were the boys there Ted? charlie was four in the yellow shirt wow. and sam was six and i was fat <laughs> just, it's just a bad angle for i guess yeah, yeah yeah sam actually has that picture as part of his sleeve tattoo no kidding yeah all no. t- sam's pretty tatted up he's got a lot of tattoos and all of them have a family connection. Everything that he has inked onto his body right. has some kind of sentimental family connection. He's got that as part of his sleeve. He's got uh, he's got the map of New Brunswick. Wow! Uh, up on his, I think it's on his left, uh, mm-hmm. whatever you call that part of your chest right. and shoulder. Everything he's got is uh, family related. Just over his tit. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, doctor. His tattoo. <laughs> 
What do you think it is with me, Ted, with family-run businesses? I just love a good family-run business. I think it's because you're Italian. Maybe. I think it's the yeah, Italian thing. Family. Familia. Familia. See, see. I just, I have a real affinity in this day and age of, you know, you go to a counter and you want to speak to somebody in charge and they have to send an email to Edmonton and you hear back in 10 days. I don't like any of that at all. Um, I love it when families get passionate about something and they end up building a business from their love of that particular business. And that is the case at Matla Bonheur. When I first went into a Matla Bonheur store, I could almost tell right away. I went into the original store, which is on Gwen Boulevard in St. Genevieve, and I was almost taken aback by how wonderfully I was greeted with a smile in both languages and how can we help you and the store was beautiful and we got to talking and somebody asked me a few questions about how I sleep and do I like a firm mattress and what kind of pillow do you have and what do you prefer and all of that stuff standing in this beautiful store and then they said we're going to show you these three mattresses and you let us know if you have any questions. So nobody sat with me, nobody tried to pressure me to buy anything. It was just, I was taken with the way they run their business, and that's the way they built their business. There are now uh, 18 locations across the uh, greater Montreal area, and if you're thinking about a mattress, you want to deal with people like that, don't you? Do you think they'd let me have a nap in the showroom as a means of trying out one of their mattresses? You know, if they weren't busy, Ted, I would venture to guess they probably would. Because I could drop by after the show, and you know what it's like after yes. a morning show. You've gotten up in the middle of the night. It's nap time. Yeah. I could I could swing by the closest <laughs> location on my way home, have a little schluff, yep. wipe up my drool, and be on my way. <laughs> uh, by the way, while we're talking about that, they also have uh, set up some really safe shopping mattress testing they've got covers and all kinds of protocols and everything else and you've got to know that uh by the way you could stop at the original store in saint genevieve oh there you go and uh, right around the corner you could get a hot dog at la roulette Mm -hmm. how about that Mm -hmm. um there are um let me see i want to make sure that i get this right 18 locations in the greater montreal area there's lots of places to buy a mattress but if you're thinking about buying a mattress don't do anything before you visit matlabonner, matlabonner.ca. So anyway, uh, yes, so I've always been interested uh, in that. And uh, over the years, I uh, got involved with uh, the Black Watch. Um, did you ever do any remotes with me from the Black Watch? Or was that, I think that was yeah. on the late Andre Mason and I, didn't I do, did a couple of remotes. I didn't uh, do remotes, but I went uh, one year with uh, you to the uh, armory for the, the big haggis dinner. Oh, what? that's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What, what was that called? That that's was the uh, Robbie Burns dinner. Where they jump up on the table. Yeah. 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 And there's a well, lot of Well, they don't scotch. jump up on the yeah. table. It's part of the ceremony. Yeah. It's a, it's a good piss up and bake sale. Yeah. That night. Really is. That night, I sat beside, and oh my God, how can I, how can I not? Ivor Watkins. Mm -hmm. I sat beside Ivor Watkins, who was a British, he was a Canadian who served in the British Royal Commandos. And he went to Normandy before D-Day to uh, uh, clear obstacles, to, to recon the beaches. Like he was on the beaches after dark before D-Day. Wow. And I, I recall him uh, telling me a story kind of matter-of-factly matter of factly and, and sort of regretfully about having to kill a German sentry or two. 
you know, yeah. they were patrolling the beach and right. he was, you know, and he would have been found out. So yep. he had to silently with his knife yep. kill them. And he was, uh, you could see the regret, right. you know, right. but it was, it was what he had to do. So the black watch I was involved in, I got, I, one of the great things that I got to do was go to Bosnia, mm-hmm. uh, after the war in Bosnia was over, but Canada was still implementing and stabilizing the peace treaty. So I went over there for two weeks and got to uh, uh, go around with the Canadian Army on their various patrols and stuff, which was absolutely fascinating. One of the interesting things about that was the Canadian Army field kitchens, the food at the Canadian Army field kitchens is better than the food you will get at most all-inclusive resorts. Really? It is so good. And I was told when I was there that the Canadians are well known for that and that the other countries who were part of the uh, NATO stabilization force, when they were on their patrols, they would try to time it so that at lunchtime they were or dinner time they were near they were near a Canadian field kitchen, right? So that they could go eat the Canadian uh, food. And and is that done? You can pop into whatever country's field kitchen you like, I suppose. I guess if you're part of the NATO, yeah. you know, if you're part of the yeah. alliance, they're yeah. all you know they're all working together over there. So I got to do that. And then more lately, I was introduced by you to a gentleman named Steve Gregory, mm-hmm. who's a Montreal yeah. businessman who uh, works tirelessly. Uh, on behalf of, of veterans past and present, uh, living and uh, and dead. And and he has a couple of organizations that I do social media for. One is called Respect Canada, which helps uh, veterans who do, are dealing with, uh, and first responders, firemen, ambulance, police, who are dealing with PTSD and homelessness, which is a huge problem with uh, veterans and first responders. So Steve uh, does that. And then he has another organization called... And I've got the T-shirt on today. Yeah, I, I see got the that. logo. It's called. Um, Hold on, I'm going to put the middle cam. Okay, there you go. There you right go. The, Operation uh, Husky. Right, right above my tit. <laughs> Operation <laughs> Husky, which, you, was, which was the code name of the uh, invasion of Sicily in 1943. And as with D-Day, it was the British, the Americans, and the Canadians who went ashore. And Steve, um, it's funny how this came about. Steve was hosting a veteran at dinner one night, and. The veteran was telling Steve's son, um, sorry, do you want me to uh, give me, give me a second and we'll we'll put those up. The veteran was telling Steve's son, Eric, this story about the Canadians in Sicily. uh, And um, Steve thought it was a fascinating story and went to look it up and couldn't find anything on it. Wow. And, and very quickly came to realize that the Canadian effort in Sicily went largely like while it is a matter of the historical record it was largely unrecognized and so he thought you know what people have to recognize what happened in sicily and the service and the sacrifice that canadians uh, performed in sicily and so he has organized operation husky uh, operation husky 2013 he took a group to sicily in 19 uh, 2013 which was the 75th anniversary am i doing the math right Mm -hmm. or is that the 70th anniversary that's the 70th 70th anniversary and then he took a group in 2018, which was the 75th anniversary. I went on that trip. Yeah, you can pop those up there now uh, if, if you want, Poseidon, those pictures. And we're going again in 2023. Also went on, I also went in 2019. So you can see, this is all, Steve Steve did all this. Right. Steve got all this done. This is in Pacino, or Pacino, mm-hmm. where the Canadians landed. Uh, that's a monument to the Canadians that Steve uh, organized, got it funded, got it built, Everybody in Sicily knows Steve Gregory. He knows and, every mayor. 
the Italians were very cooperative, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Sicilians were, yeah. uh, and and uh, you can you can keep going uh, with those uh, Poseidon if you want to go from one to the next. Yeah, yeah they were second. they were really. Um, uh, there's Steve is on the left. Okay. I'm on the right. Yes. And the guy in the middle is Santino. Uh-huh. Uh, he's he's just a local guy in one of the towns. And every time that he hears that we're there, every like he him and I are Facebook friends. So if he sees me post and he knows we're in Sicily, yeah, he's right there. Wow. In a flash, he also is a tuba player in an local Oompa band. <laughs> <laughs> So what we've done over the, in the two trips that I've done is we've marched in the footsteps of the Canadians through Sicily from where they landed uh, all the way up into the middle of the island where they, uh, where they fought their final battle before chasing uh, the Germans out. I was telling uh, Poseidon beforehand, uh, third from the right, uh, the little girl with the curly hair, mm-hmm. very popular with the Canadian soldiers. I understand. Yeah, yeah. She she had to run away. They were just all, <laughs> all every, every one of them. Actually, she was enjoying the attention, yeah. of course. But uh, yeah, so that's a group. And there's uh, Santino again it, with his uh, hat on. It, it, oh. This is the cemetery. Wow. This is the cemetery at Ajira. 591 Canadian graves. When Steve goes over there, the first thing he does is he goes to that cemetery and he walks the whole cemetery and does a roll call. Wow. Names every name wow. out loud. Mm. Yeah. That's a very powerful picture. Yeah. It's a it's a beautiful cemetery. I mean, I know that sounds like a contradiction in terms, but it's a uh, any Commonwealth cemetery, Canadian uh, military cemetery I've been to and there's another picture you'll see the view. Mm-hmm from this cemetery that was during a ceremony where they had uh, we found a person or organized one person to stand at each grave so we had 591 people there and they did a roll call Mm. and each person answered for whichever the name of of the soldier at the grave Mm -hmm. uh, that they were at and as you can see we had canadian uh, soldiers who came over with us on that trip but look at the view in the background i do yeah that yeah it's, it's quite stunning. So 591, I think yeah. it's 591 graves. 591, there's another, there's a nice, uh, yeah. yeah, 591 Canadian graves. And it's, it's something that, like, we all know about Normandy. We all know about the yep. Battle of Britain. Uh, well, this is where your uncle lost his life, no? He was not, he, not, he was not, not killed in Sicily. He right. landed in Sicily. Right. And, uh, and, and wasn't he taken shortly before the end of the war no 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 oh, he died okay. on new year's eve 1943 oh okay yeah there's the beach that's yeah. that's Pacino there okay. no he landed in sicily so that would have been july of 1943 and he was killed new year's eve 1943 so he actually made it through six months of combat oh. which was almost unheard of yeah you know the yeah. the casualty rate was such that you know your number came up fairly quickly it, it just occurred to me that um it's We've kind of, it's kind of like when you invite people over and get the slide projector. Out. <laughs> that's true, eh? <laughs> I think that's, I think that's interesting yeah, stuff, I though. I might too. be wrong, and yeah, I, no, and no, no, no. I, you I know, I, too. I well, also that's think what I, I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's, uh, you know, those guys deserve it. I agree. And, 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 you know, I was talking about Ivor Watkins. Terry and I have had the occasion to meet a number of veterans over the years. Most of them are gone now, of course. We were, we were, I, I don't know if it was last episode or one before we were doing the math. If you landed on, if you, uh, not us, anyone who landed on D-Day at the age of 20 would now be 98. So most of yeah. them are gone. About 20 years ago when we were on CJD, uh, we just, no, actually we had moved back over to Shome and we decided let's get a veteran in and we'll talk about, we'll talk to him about D-Day. Who can we get? So I called whoever and I said, I need a D-Day veteran. Call 
Oakle Stewart in St. Lambert. Okay. He's great. And he used to be on CJD every Remembrance Day. So we called up, I called Oakle, and I got his answering machine back in the days of answering machines. And I left him a message, and I, and I'm Ted Bird from Showm FM. We'd like to have you on to talk about D-Day, can, if you can call me back. So the next day or whenever it was, I get a, I get a message from him. I, I was not available, and he left me a message. And he goes, yes, Mr. Bird, this is Uncle Stewart speaking. I understand you wanted to talk to me about World War II, which I won with the help of others. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had him in. And, uh, and what a character. I don't, yeah, and a remarkable interview. Yeah. And what I remember about him and, and other veterans from that from that era they were almost taken aback when you thanked them yeah like they were almost not embarrassed but they were well yeah well i was just doing what i you know yeah, just doing my job yeah we just yeah. Did, we did we did what we had to do do you remember the time we went up to ottawa and watched the spitfire fly I past i do and the same thing happened i remember you went over to there were there were a group of pilots uh, veteran pilots of world war ii and yeah. you went over and thanked them and you and you came back over to me and you said they would they they weren't sure how to handle that yeah. when i thanked them they yeah. were kind of like oh well uh, okay uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> Because as a kid, I remember, I remember going to the, uh, the movie theater that was in the Chateau Champlain downtown and watching the Battle of Britain with school uh, in the days when, I don't know if they still do this, but a uh, school field trip was to go see the Battle of Britain. And I think I was in grade seven. Mm-hmm. And I was so taken with, A, the story of it, because it was, you know, in grade seven, I don't know how old you are, but that's where you begin or where I began to learn that literally the free world was at stake yep. during the Battle of, of Britain. And I was completely taken with the Spitfires. And the day that we went, all those years later to Ottawa, when that Spitfire did that flyby, I had to do, I was doing the World War II cry, the old. <laughs> I'm not crying. Because <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, the thing. The thing shot over well, yeah. at, a, at a low altitude, and the rumble of that engine, and uh, I'm getting goosebumps thinking yeah. about it. Yeah. And and I, I like you, you know, during Remembrance Day, and I know because of COVID, there hasn't been much of that lately. Um, I used to like to buy a bunch of poppies from a, a bunch of different locations, and uh, and always would extend my hand to thank the veteran, and they they get all. Flustered. Yeah, they don't know how to handle yeah. that. Uh, well, yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, well, that generation, man. Yeah. You know, they grew up in the Depression. Yeah. And the payoff was you get to go to war. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. 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 Well, we had a hard scrabble childhood. Yeah. Now yeah. what? Yeah. Well, the good news is you're getting a free trip to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> the bad news is you got to dodge U-boats on the way. I, I remember you telling me one year that you were going, I said, what are you doing with your holidays this year, Birdman? I'm going to Bosnia. <laughs> what? <laughs> I said, you know, there's a war on, right? No, the war was over by then. Was it over by yeah. then? It's crazy because today's generation, they complain because they say, ah, oh, you know, due to the stars, I'm a freaking avocado. Uh, this month so uh, my fucking stars are in my asshole so uh, this is why i get to act like a bitch (laughs) well the difference is you know for that generation a safe space was also known as a foxhole (laughs) yeah and a trigger warning was incoming (laughs) yeah honest to good god eh? Uh, different times yeah no kidding well what do they say they say uh hard times uh, uh, hard times make strong men. Mm-hmm. Strong men make good times. Good times make soft men. 
So oh. it's a cycle yeah. okay. that keeps repeating itself. And yeah. I think you can probably guess which part of the cycle we're in now. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I would like to think that, you know, if our... If you know if if home and country were under siege, I would like to think that most people in the combat age generation uh, would answer the call. I know that not everybody would, but yeah. I know my boys would. Yep. I know my boys' friends would. Yep. Um, you know, I think when your own, I, th- I think when it comes right down to it, when you're when it when everything you love and and cherish is under threat mm-hmm. i i would like to think yeah uh that they would that they would take a stand the yeah. free the free trip to europe thing reminds me of a great story one of the veterans i that who i had a great uh the great privilege of knowing was um jerry forbes's stepfather jerry forbes is an iconic canadian radio broadcaster like yourself uh recently inducted into the radio hall of fame and Jerry grew up in Toronto uh, and was raised by his uh, stepfather and his mom. His stepfather was Mike Sheehy. Mike landed on D-Day in a tank and always said he was glad that he was in a tank when he landed on D-Day as he was looking around watching right. the fire that the, that the infantry was taking. Anyway, he was, uh, he was in combat for a few weeks, and then, and then his tank got hit, and the lower half of one of his legs was blown off. And he came home and got fitted with a prosthetic, and uh, Jerry's brother, Marty, uh, loves to tell the story. Until the day Mike died, whenever a woman walked into the room, he was the first man on his feet. Wow. Prosthetic leg and all. Wow. Again, that generation. Yeah. But uh, Mike had a son, Jerry's brother, Neil. And uh, I used to go over to their house with Jerry, and we'd sit around, and we'd have a few drinks, and, and I would always pepper Mike with questions because, and he would, you know, he'd talk to me because he knew I was interested in World War II history. So, and he wasn't, he wasn't a bragger, but he was, he was typical of those guys. I'm no hero. Yeah. But then he'd tell you a story, and he was a great storyteller. And so I would sit there and I'd listen to his stories all day long. And Neil, Neil would come out of the house and he'd look at us and he'd go, talking about your free trip to Europe again, eh, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> but nobody loved and respected Mike more than Neil. Yeah. yeah. Got any fart jokes? Not a one, sir. <laughs> I just realized what we've been talking about is, uh, you know, well, that, but that's the, way I, that's the way we started. I, I wanted to talk about... The fact that uh, we uh, we love a good fart joke like they're like anybody else, uh, but um, uh, we we took the other part of our job seriously, yes, very much so, yeah. and 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 continue to. I yeah. mean, I you know, I've got I have some ideas for guests on this show that can go down the history the history rabbit hole, but right. I think we can also it, you know it doesn't all have to be grave and serious and sad. Oh. I think we I mean we, we just told some funny stories about the veterans. Right. I think they were funny. Yeah. Anyway, they cracked us up. Anybody mm-hmm. else wants to come along for the ride? You're more than welcome. <laughs> Ted, you know what I like is when we used to work together, you used to do the uh ooh, 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 ooh. I feel it I feel a change in the air. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. The bear, it was the bear thing. Yeah, yeah. You'd come in in the morning and you'd say, Oh, I felt it this morning. <laughs> and I'd say, Damn it, no, it's too early for that. Um, but it's in the air. Yeah, it's time. Yeah, it's, 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 time. What a, it's what I think a bear must do every year when yeah. he realizes or she realizes it's time to uh, think about hibernating. Right. So when I go, I know it's time to think about winter tires. Right. Bears don't think about that. No, I don't think so. No, no, no. no. 
So when I would think about winter tires, and maybe bears do too, I'm not yeah. sure, uh, I think about Merson. Our friends at the Mersons. Merson Automotive. Yeah. Uh, you and I have been going to Merson oh. for, what, 25 years now or years. so? Yeah. I used yeah. to take my horse and carriage there. Oh, yeah. Back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, they have, a, they have a, uh, an outlet in Pennsylvania now. <laughs> Mersons of Pennsylvania, where they do only wagons. <laughs> that might not be true. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. They take, uh, they take care of Montrealers. Yeah. Though. It's a family-run business. And one of the things that I love for years is going into the waiting room and you'd see the same faces in the spring and the fall. And that's because families have come to trust them. You and I have both had this experience. I was introduced to them over 25 years ago when I got ripped off at a mechanic's place. And a friend of mine said, you should take it to the Mersons. They're as honest the day as, as the day is long. And I said, who are the Mersons? And at the time, it was Mark and Bonnie, and we met Mark and Bonnie and became very good friends. And now there's a new generation, Kara and Celso, um, are running the shop. But all of all of the same uh, standards and traditions of honesty and integrity are still there, along with a lot of employees that have been there I was going to say, not just the same yeah. faces of clients yeah. in the waiting room, but also the same faces behind the counter and in the back as well, yeah. back in the mechanic bays. And it, that speaks volumes about a business when you have continuity of staff. Yeah, and simple things like an oil change, no problem. Uh, you need a tune-up, no problem. Your fritzinator's gone, no problem. If uh, you're leaking oil and they need your car for two days big problem um, not for them they'll fix yeah. it uh, but problem for all of that to say that's where my car is right now okay there you yeah. go but you want to talk about the trustworthy thing it's a big job and it's going to take some money out of my pocket but i have a 10 year old car and 10 year old cars need big jobs yep. sometimes and i know i can trust them when and celso told me what the problem was and gave me the estimate I didn't question him on it because I know that they're not going to rip me off. They're going to do what needs to be done. Do the math. You take that to another place and it's twice the price. 487-5545 or mercenauto.com. Okay. What do you got? <laughs> Poseidon, it seems like we're all out. <laughs> I don't think we're out. It's just a, you know. Uh, it's two, a hard thing to segue from. It is. Two old, I was just sitting here thinking, you know, two old professionals like us should be able to transition away from that. I mean, we transitioned from Coupin to uh, World War II and <laughs> people being shot That's on true, the beach. Yeah. He said Coupin. What is Coupin? As, as we, love, speaking of uh, Steve Harvey and Family Feud, I love watching the best of. The best of? The best is this of, something we should be... Uh, the best of a Family Feud Okay, on YouTube. Yeah. They, they basically take all the best and funniest moments of mm -hmm. Family Feud yeah. and they kind of clip them together. I, I love watching that shit. I go crazy. He yeah. really knows how to run with it, eh? Yeah. yeah, yeah he's yeah. so good at that. Well, well he's, a, he's, a, he's a radio he's broadcaster. And you know what? That... There's another show, there, there's another example of a high wire act. There's, there's, I mean, I know it's, I know it's live to tape as they call the, you know, if somebody goes, ah, fuck, they can stop yeah. tape, yeah. but they, they live in the moment on that show, which is, I think the nature of the, at least part of the appeal of that show, which is. You know that that somebody will say cupine, yeah. or you know wedness. Yeah, I think that's that's a big part of it. Yeah, well, those, we, we've been talking about that's what we did. Yeah, and the the best moments are born of that. Yeah, you know sometimes yeah. it falls flat, 
Yeah. And sometimes it flies. And yeah. when it flies, boy, can it soar. And I remember having those conversations with uh, bosses of ours who would, you know, you and I, over the course of the years, were encouraged a number of times to plan things the day before, pre-tape everything, Ugh. you know, pre-tape your phone callers, like take your phone callers off the air, pre-tape it, edit the tape to make it sound sharp. Yeah. And I always thought that was just such a stupid idea yeah. because real life don't work that way. No, I mean, it, you know what? For for some guys, that might fit their style. Yeah, some you know? guys do really well with it. Yeah, but it's not. that's not what we did and it's not what we do. Yeah, it's the same thing with guests. We would have, I used to love to have guests in the studio and uh, I was encouraged a number of times to have guests come in after we got off the air, tape it, and then just, you know, shorten it and clip it because yeah. nobody's interested, blah, blah, blah. And I've had some guests walk into the studio who were scheduled to stay for 10 minutes and stayed the whole show. I don't know if you remember, remember the morning Bob Rock came in? Yes, I do. Bob Rock is a um, one of the most famous record producers in the world and has done some massive, massive projects. Made enough money from these massively successful albums that he has his own chunk of a Hawaiian island with a satellite dish specifically aimed at a certain satellite so we can watch hockey on Saturday nights. That's great. Um, he's just a fascinating guy and has produced so many great albums, including Metallica's so-called Black Album, their most successful album, and the album that, um, the album that introduced them to a wider audience, you know, not an, an album that took them from, you know, just the metalheads to a, a massive, mass appeal audience. And the metalhead purists were pissed off about it, yes, right? Yeah. And, and didn't someone come into the studio yes. and, yeah. One of, one of them worked at our... Uh, uh, sister station. At our sister yeah. station and invited himself into the studio, which is, a, this is another thing about that people don't know about. When you're in the studio, if you're a radio guy... It's when, your house. When you're in the studio, it's your house. Nobody's allowed to come in without asking. Nobody was... This is the way I was taught anyway. Yeah. Nobody's allowed to come in the studio without asking. Nobody's allowed to uh, touch your board. In other words, reach over you and move something on the... On, on the, the control board. You know, it would be like me going over there and telling Poseidon what to do. Yeah. You don't do that. And, and certainly when you have company, piss off. And during a break in this morning where Bob Rock just kept talking and telling these amazing stories, Mike came into the studio and said, I just came in to tell you, you ruined Metallica. And to me, that, that was like if you invited people to your house for dinner and your kids said to them, you know, I don't want you here. Yeah, I don't like you. Why yeah, you I don't here? like you. Yeah. 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 It, I don't remember what Bob Rock's reaction was, but, I, you know, I remember... He, it was gracious. Yeah, that that much I remember, because if there had been a confrontation or if he'd taken it poorly, <laughs> yeah. I would have remembered that. I also remember about his visit, and and uh, I, I always uh, felt good about this because it said to me, maybe I know something about music. Uh, maybe I have a good ear. But I said to him, you know, I always thought that Aerosmith did better music when they were still drinking and doing drugs. And he went, yes! <laughs> <laughs> and he said, tell my wife that! <laughs> Get your wings, toys in the attic, 
and Rocks, yeah. I think, are Aerosmith, Aerosmith's three best albums. <laughs> and they sobered up after that. Yeah. And then and they did a lot of good records after that yeah, and, and probably had their most commercial success after that. Well, but those three albums really rocked. That was another, uh, you know, the this, this second act for Aerosmith was produced at the hands of another Canadian producer named Bruce Fairburn. And Bruce Fairburn and Bob Rock worked out of uh, the Vancouver area. And a lot of great records came out of that era. Bruce Fairburn produced uh, um, Bon Jovi, Loverboy, Metallica, or no, um, Bon Jovi, Loverboy, like I, I, I think a Brian Adams record. He just, he did a lot of uh, work in Bob Rock uh, also with Metallica and a host of others that, you know, I can't. I can't remember without looking at Wikipedia, but he was one of the most uh, prolific and talented producers um, in music and had come in that morning and and said he, I don't know why, I think he was in town producing somebody and um, he he said, yeah, I'll come in for, you know, I'm going to be up early, I'll come in for 20 minutes. And he stayed till I mean, he was there for two and a half hours, I think. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's a testament to you and your interview skills, and the fact that uh, he found right. you as interesting as you found him. Oh, wow, that was uh, that was great. Who's Bruce Allen? Bruce Allen is a um, Bruce Allen is to Vancouver what Donald K. Donald was to Montreal. Oh, okay, so he's a promoter. He was a like prom- an empresario, empresario kind of promoter, and also later in life a manager. That's what I thought. He manages Jan Arden. He managed Ann Murray. He manages. Uh, he managed uh, Backman Turner Overdrive. Uh, he manages. Uh, there's a host of them that are not coming to me. Reason I ask is I know a guy named uh, Gislain. Gislain Arsenault. Gislain owns a company called Truck and Roll. And right. Truck and Roll is one of the biggest uh, concert transportation companies in the world. They move bands around on tour. They move Cirque du Soleil around on tour. Wow. And they move Celine around on tour. In fact, the song uh, My Heart Will Go On, uh, at the time, before My Heart Will Go On, he, he was using three trucks to move uh, Celine. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that song came out, Rene Angelou called him up and said, you're going to need a bigger fleet. <laughs> They went from three trucks to 20 trucks to no move kidding. Celine. Yeah. Wow, what a cool story. So, yeah, and it's a, he's, Gislain's a great guy. And uh, I actually host a podcast for uh, for Truck and Roll, and he was my first guest. And despite the fact that Gislain was, and despite the fact that I called him Gislain Dufour, and his name is Gislain Arsenault, he didn't fire me. <laughs> he kept me on board. But he told a, a story about uh, Bruce Allen. Yes. And he said that he met Bruce Allen at some af- backstage after party at a after a concert. And uh, Bruce Allen said, uh, who are you? And Gislain said, I'm Gislain Arsenault. I, uh, I own Truck and Roll. And he goes, well, I've never heard of you, so that means you haven't fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> That's Bruce Allen. He's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's uh, known as a brusque, uh, yeah. like all of those managers are. They're, they're brusque and, and uh, uh, quick to anger yeah. and, and, the, and huge defenders of their artists. Yeah. Which is what makes them great managers. Yeah, well, Donald is not a shrinking violet, is he? No, Donald he's K. not. Donald. No, if you uh, if you you spend time with uh, uh, Donald and he talks about the early days of concert promoting, he'll tell you some great stories about some of the entanglements he had with Led Zeppelin's manager, Elton John's manager. You know, those were the days when you had to um, Elton John would have to get like John Reed manage Elton John, so. 
Donald would get on the phone with John Reed and they would have a nice conversation and John would say, you know, we're doing a tour and then they would start screaming at each other about what what it was going to cost, how much it was going to cost Donald to bring Elton John to Montreal. Right. And they would have a handshake on it and, you know, settle up after the show. Cash would change hands. Then they go to dinner. It was the uh, old-fashioned way uh, to do business in the concert business. Yeah, well, you know what? I think that's uh, uh, my hat's off to guys like that, guys yeah. who can who can knock heads in business, and then yeah. when the business is done, yeah, you know, they yeah. can sit down and, and be friends. There's yeah. a lot to be said for that. And we'll we'll talk on and on future episodes. We'll talk about more about behind the scenes of the music business because I I've got a lot of nice things to say about Donald K. Donald, who was incredibly kind to me over the years and actually uh, provided me with some really good counsel over the course of my career. You know who would have been a great guest on this show if you want to end it with a good cry? Yes. Because we haven't cried yet. We came <laughs> close a couple of times during the veterans thing, but we haven't cl- cried yet. Uh, Terry and I lost a great and good friend uh, a few months ago, Warren Skip Snare. Yeah. And Skip worked with us in radio for a long time, and he was behind the scenes in the music business. And his claim to fame was... was rescuing a Rolling Stones concert. I don't know the details. You probably know them better than me. The Rolling Stones came to town in, uh, I don't remember the year, but it was, I think. It was 72. Yeah, it was late 60s, early 70s. And um, it was a very political time in Quebec. And uh, the, uh, the trucks, speaking of trucks that carry stuff, um, that were holding the equipment for the stones were parked near the forum overnight. Somebody put a bomb in there, in there, under the truck and blew the truck up. And so they didn't have, uh, they didn't have any PA stuff. And it was, you know, the show was that night or the night it was going to be that night or the, the, you know, sorry, skip. I'm not, telling, <laughs> yeah. I'm not telling the story very well, but, um, they needed, they needed, uh, amplification equipment and fast, and uh, Skip stepped forward and managed to uh, find uh, stuff to rent, which was difficult at that time of the year because I think it was the summertime. This is how resourceful and connected Skip was. Right. Yeah. Got in touch with somebody at Air Canada because he found the stuff, I think it was in the Maritimes in Halifax, had a shipment of lobster, fresh lobster, bumped off the flight uh, the Air Canada flight had it re- had the lobster removed, the amplification uh, equipment put on the plane. The the uh, stuff arrived in Montreal that afternoon. He arranged for trucks to get it to the Montreal Forum, and uh, that night the Stones went on stage. And when the Stones manager asked how that happened, they were introduced to Skip. Skip and Keith Richards became great and good friends, and Skip went on the road with them. And one of my favorite stories. <laughs> of Skip being on the road with uh, the Stones was they were in Toronto for the uh, El Macombo show. Uh, It's a famous show at a famous club in Toronto. And Keith was, he was in Keith's room, and Keith would not stop playing the same riff over and over and over again. And I think the riff, sorry, Skip, I think the riff was um, "Start Me Up," the yeah. opening lick for "Start Me Up." Yeah, yeah. Da-na-na. So they hadn't written Da-na-na. it yet. He was just screwing around with was, it. it was, apparently, Keith Richards was on the bed going <laughs> over and over and over again. And Skip, I think, was trying to watch a hockey game. He went, "Keith, <laughs> for fuck's sake!" <laughs> And if you know Skip, yeah, yeah Skip didn't give a shit yeah, if it like, was Keith Richards yeah. or the Queen of England. Try to 
watch the game for Christ's sake. Yeah. Skip would tell that story and say, I nearly ruined that. Yeah, I really that song. Yeah. To miss you. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Tell the, uh, tell, it's not one specific story, but the, but I used to love the way Skip would move people along at Ziggy's. Oh, yeah. If a drunk came over to your table and started talking to your guy's ear yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Skip was not very tolerant of um, the people who were impolite or uh, or invasive. Invasive. It, it's one thing to say, yeah. "Hey, hi, how are yeah. you doing?" Yeah. Just wanted to say, "Hi, nice yeah. to meet you." And blah, blah, blah. yeah, and uh, Skip Skip would keep an eye on us. And one of the things, one of the reasons that people love to go when Skip was bartending, one of the, the reasons they loved to go to the bar was they knew Skip ran a tight ship. Right, you you didn't you didn't try and steal from him, you didn't try and run out on your bill, and you certainly, if you know, uh, Tim Wallach or Bob Ganey was in the bar, you didn't bother them. You left them be. And uh, Skip had a, an interesting way of keeping an eye <laughs> on people, and uh, and if you know he he would watch, and if somebody would come over, and oftentimes you know. If you have a public profile, oftentimes people use alcohol for courage yeah. to come over, and when they come over, they get they get pretty. Uh, well, they don't know when to, they, they don't yeah, know they when don't, the time they don't yeah. know when time's up. Yeah, you know, and and uh, Skip would would uh, come over and just lightly tap them on the hand <laughs> and just go, "Your time's up, pal. <laughs> Your time's up. You've taken enough time. On you go. <laughs> Away you go." You're done here. You're yeah, done. You're done. Yeah, you're, you're done. done here. My favorite Skip story after he had moved from uh, the Rolling Stones and bartending and, and come into radio where he was doing promotions and marketing, uh, we had a boss, uh, best boss I ever worked for, Rob Braid. And Rob was a very uh, slick dresser. Yes. Rob dressed extremely well. Yeah. He was one of the best dressed men in Montreal, a real clothes horse. And I don't know if Rob knows that Skip called him Fancy Pants. Yeah. <laughs> that was Skip's name for Rob was Fancy Pants. After Rob retired and uh, a new general manager came in, I remember standing outside the general manager's office one day and Skip was in there trying to, I don't know if he was trying to get money for a promotion or he was, anyway, I don't know, he just, Skip had a meeting with the guy and Skip came back out of the office and I was standing beside the secretary's desk. Skip came out of the office and he walked past me and without, and still looking straight ahead and without breaking stride, he went, this fucking guy's worse than fancy. <laughs> <laughs> we love them and boy, oh boy. do we miss them we they'll, sure be, do. they'll be you know as long as we keep doing this podcast that's not the last skip story you've heard that's for sure well that's it yeah and uh yeah he was a, he was a great guy old skip yes. time to tell you a little bit about our title sponsors at jaguar land rover laval i was up there the other day because i had to reluctantly return the jaguar f-type p380 sports coupe that they loaned to Terry and me to drive around for the weekend. The last time we uh, recorded some of these podcast episodes, what a beautiful, beautiful car goes like stink too. And that's why I had to also inform them that when they get the photo radar ticket, that'll be for me just to forward that to me. <laughs> Actually, I don't think it's going to be that bad, but no. uh, I did see, I did see a flash when I was going across the little tort bridge uh, in the middle of the night. So that can only mean one thing. Now, when I went back up there, uh, to return the car, I was talking to Nino Di Cubelis, who is uh, the president and owner of Jaguar Land Rover Laval, along with his brother Renato. Nino was telling me Jaguar races in the E series. You know what I mean? The electric cars. I do. They look like Formula One cars, but they're electric cars. Uh, Jaguar has a team. You know who one of their drivers is? No. Sam Bird. No. Yeah. You're kidding. 
Yeah, not my son, Sam Bird. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but a Sam Bird nonetheless. If any of the birds were going to be race car drivers, it would have been Charlie. Yeah. I'm telling you, if I was a billionaire, Charlie Bird would be driving in Formula One right now. Yeah, he is a, uh, to say he's a, a master of uh, automobiles would be a bit of an understatement. When they, uh, when when Jaguar Land Rover Val gives you an F-type for the weekend, it's a good news, bad news kind of deal, eh, Ted? Because the good news is I got an f type jaguar for you for the weekend the bad news is you got to bring it back yeah but you know what you may as well be grateful for the yeah. uh, for the two or three days that we had it what a spectacular vehicle and it doesn't matter what kind of jaguar you get yourself into it's it's high-end luxury and and pretty good bang for the buck on a comparative level that f-type is a spectacular sports coupe that's a top-of-the-line sports coupe and you can get into that uh, for under six figures. And I know, you know, I know a lot of people are going, well, yeah, but, but you know what? There is a market for those cars. Yeah. There are people who can afford those cars and under six figures is a really good deal for a vehicle that beautiful. And as I said to you, when I was sitting in it, it's beautifully designed an absolutely beautiful design for a sports car. And of course, when you're at the dealership, you could also wander over and have a look at the Land Rovers too. And Jaguar, Land Rover, Laval does it right at every level. They have a spectacular product and they have spectacular service. And that starts at the top with Nino and Renato and goes all the way down. They have a family who work there and it's it's a family run business. And uh, they'll treat you like family when you go in there. They treat their staff like family. Well, that's because some of their staff are family. But they, even the ones who aren't family get treated like family. And you will be too when you go to Jaguar, Land Rover, Laval. They're on car four, uh, corner of Shamity in Laval. That's where uh, the new car dealership is for the certified pre-owned and McLaren Montreal. You're just a little bit south of there on Shamity Boulevard. Go up just to have a look. They'd be fine pleased to show you their spectacular lineup of vehicles. And uh, I suppose you could ask for a spot of tea because they are British luxury vehicles. Uh, with Nino and Renato, you're probably better off asking for an espresso. They can probably that round that up for you a lot quicker than a spot of tea. <laughs> you can also visit them online, of course. Visit LandRoverLaval.ca or JaguarLaval.ca. We got to go. Poseidon's got to get a haircut. Oh, it's going to be right. late. Yeah, that's right. Oh shit! Sorry. Not much man. hair, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we want you looking good for the ladies, Poseidon. Yes. <laughs> Poseidon Santorini. Yeah. Uh, Mushkala Lashkaba. What was that's it again? Terrible. Sorry. Eh? Thank you again. What was oh, it? Efkaristo. Efkaristo. Sucros. Glucose. Fructose. Hey, this has been a lot of fun, Birdman. You want to do another one? Uh, I do. Uh, thank you, by the way, for squiring me around all weekend long. Listen, I appreciate it was my that. pleasure. Yeah. If we do this again, what we've done is we've we've recorded a bunch in a few days. If we do that again, yes. uh, I'll see if I can get us a McLaren to drive around town. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Don't hold your breath, but nope. I'll see what I can do. Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by Jaguar Land Rover Laval, where the luxury is unmistakably British, but nobody wears a top hat or a monocle.